she basically said something to the effect of um, like at some point, if you're not writing about climate change, you're just not going to be writing about reality anymore. Right. Because climate change is here. It's been here, um, you know, for a little while now, at least for um, a huge chunk of the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that explores the intersection between science, story, and play, Geoscopy 101, with me, your host, Dr. Yanis Kistinache. We're exploring climate change, climate fiction, and podcasting with the founder of Stories for Earth, Forrest Brown. Welcome to the show, Forrest. How are you doing? Thanks. Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. You and I are probably inhabit similar niches, not niches, along with uh, Lovis. As sure. well, talking about, uh, I suppose, pop culture and how, like, it's kind of science fits in, but you guys are more on the, the environmental kind of climate change type of side specific. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a bit about yourself, who you feel you are in this moment and what you do. Yeah. So like you said, my name is Forrest. Um, I started a podcast called Stories for Earth. Um, I guess it's been a little bit over two years ago now, actually, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, but yeah, I started that um, kind of <laughs> because I was terrified is what I usually tell people. Um, <laughs> climate change scares the crap out of me. And uh, I was kind of looking for a way that I could get involved and like, uh, I guess, do my part to help beyond just the little things that... Um, you know, people always tell you to do like, you know, like cut down on plastic waste and drive less and that sort of thing. So I don't have any kind of formal science education. I actually studied music business in university, um, but I've always had like a really strong interest in uh, literature. I've been a writer for as long as I can remember. So um, it made sense for me to, I guess, look at how stories uh, told through a number of different mediums might I guess, kind of help us prepare for, uh, I guess, what's to come with the climate crisis and like what we can do now um, in terms of both like mitigation Mm -hmm. and adaptation. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got started in this space. But yeah, outside of that, I have a day job. So I work like a regular boring business job Um, and I'm a writer in my spare time, whatever spare time, little spare time I have these days, uh, I try to work on writing fiction. Um, and then of course I write a ton for the podcast. All the episodes are scripted if they're not an interview. So that's a lot of writing actually. Um, yeah, that's me. Yeah. How did, how did you gravitate towards doing a, a scripted podcast as a, as a medium <laughs> for your show? Because doing a non-scripted podcast went terribly. So <laughs> I started out. Um, oh, yeah. I, so when I started it, I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, like realistically, if I'm going to, you know, do the number of episodes, talk about the number of different um, stories that I want to talk about, I'm going to have to set like some kind of expectations about like how I'm going to do this to make it feasible, you know, with the little amount of time that I have to devote to it. So um, at first I was like, okay, well, Yeah, I mean, it it probably wouldn't be too bad if I just did bullet points and just kind of, I guess, improvised a little bit. Like, I could just talk about it naturally. Um, Turns out, for me anyway, it's really hard to talk naturally about something when it's only you alone in a room talking to a microphone. (laughs) Um, Hmm. I was like, I'll just do it like I'm talking to a friend. 
Um, but I don't know. For me, anyway, I felt like it sounded weird, and I, it hmm. actually took a lot longer to do it that way, I thought, because, um, like I said, I'm a writer. I'm not, like, a speaker, so it doesn't come as naturally to me to just kind of go off the cuff like that. So hmm. I, uh, after I did, I think two episodes without scripting them i just kind of did like an a really um structured outline um which were the first two episodes i ever released which was uh parable of the sower and then parable of the talents by octavia e butler um after i did those two i was like okay these episodes are getting way too long like i ramble (laughs) like i feel like i'm not really getting my (laughs) points across clearly so Mm. after that i was like okay well i guess i have to try writing it because i don't want to really keep doing this if all of them are going to be like that Um, Mm. so I did, I started writing them and it actually didn't take as long as I thought it would. It was actually faster, I thought, than doing them unscripted. Uh, and yeah, I just never really stopped. So some of them have gotten kind of long. Um, they've taken me a lot longer to write than others, which has been okay. Um, like I think I did one on, um, two books by Amitav Ghosh. One was, uh, The Great Derangement, which is a nonfiction work, and then, um, one of his more recent novels which is uh, gun island and that episode uh, after i recorded it that was like 30 minutes long which is pretty long if you're writing something i think it was like uh like seven thousand words or something uh which took a long time <laughs> so mm, um yeah. yeah so it was just kind of like a natural thing it just kind of made sense to do it that way i thought what, what inspired you to get into podcasting in general I mean, I do listen to a lot of podcasts, um, especially when I started doing this podcast. I was um, really listening to a lot of podcasts because that was back before the world fell apart and uh, I actually had a commute. So um, when I was driving to work every day, I would just listen to podcasts and audiobook the whole way. So I didn't have like a terribly long commute, but it was like just a perfect amount of time for a podcast. It was like 30 or 45 minutes driving. Um it was even longer if I tried to take public transportation. I, I used to live in Nashville, Tennessee, um, which is, you know, one state north of where I live now. But um, it's uh, it's a much smaller city than Atlanta, but it um, has like no public transportation infrastructure. Essentially, it's very, very limited. And like there's a reason for that. And it's big money. But um yeah, it took like a 30 minute car ride would take me like almost two hours to get to work. So I tried to do that a couple times oh, back to, yeah. yeah, like back to what I was saying about like the uh, trying to minimize your, I guess, environmental footprint, so to speak, which is a term that was invented by oil companies. But um, yeah, <laughs> after, <laughs> after doing that a couple of times, I was like, uh, this is, uh, I guess, better for the environment, but it's also extremely impractical. This is kind of one of those situations where I'm going to unfortunately have to draw a line. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I guess um, I, I I started out by thinking that I would um, do stories for Earth as like a blog. I'd done that before. I'd had like multiple different blogs in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd started by thinking I would maybe make the podcast or what eventually became the podcast a blog. So like I'd, you know, like had WordPress websites in the past. I'd like done some stuff on medium.com. Um, but I was kind of like, eh, like, I don't know if anybody actually reads blogs anymore. Like by the time that I was making this, which they do, but I wasn't mm. sure at the time when I was making it. So um, I'd kind of thought about making a podcast before 
the ideas that I had before were like nothing like this. They were always like stupid stuff, like just goofy, uh, like funny stuff with friends that we just kind of like joked about it. We weren't actually serious, but um, yeah, I was like, well, this might actually be like a good medium um, to communicate what I'm trying to get across because podcasting is getting really big. Um, you know, at the time, everybody was like, oh, like podcasts are finally taking off after, you know, like how many years they've been around, um, which now like podcasts are huge and they're all over the place. But I feel like when I started it, people were just finally starting to like realize like how big podcasts were getting and there were some bigger shows popping up and stuff. But um, so, yeah, I decided to give it a go. It was um, I looked into it. It, it was surprisingly easy to get started. Um, it was much um, I felt like it was much less uh, like an upfront investment than starting something like a YouTube channel uh, where I would have to get like a camera and stuff, which I didn't have. I still don't have. Um, those are pretty expensive. So um, I've got this microphone here that I'm talking to you through. Um, had it since I was like in high school, I think. Um, still works mm. okay. It's not like a super nice microphone, but it works for podcasting. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well... Uh, I could try it if it's terrible. I don't have to keep doing it, but um, like, let's just see how it goes. So I started it and I still haven't really stopped. So <laughs> that's <laughs> that's how the podcast came about. Yeah. yeah. So, so remind of yours what the premise of, of Stories for Earth is. Yeah, it's um. so I guess the little spiel that I always do at the beginning of my episodes is uh, Stories for Earth is a podcast about everything climate change and pop culture. So uh, I used to have a much more like, uh, I guess, kind of academic sounding thing, but I was afraid it would put people <laughs> off. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah. it was like, oh, like, um, I forgot what it was. It was like cultural artifacts or something like that, that uh, examine oh, the climate wow. crisis or something. Deep, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, this actually doesn't. I don't even know if I know what this means, so <laughs> I changed it. But um, no, ba yeah. the basic premise is that I'm looking at stories told through a number of different mediums. Uh, so that's like, I, I talk a lot about books, but it's not only books. I also have been trying to kind of expand the, I guess, the uh, medium diversity, if you will, that I cover on the show. So it's also uh, film. Um, I've done, a, I think... I've done two on video games now. One was an interview. One was a scripted episode um, on Final Fantasy VII. Um, and I've done, oh man, poetry is one that I've done before. I'd like to do some more of that. Um, I think that might be it up until now. But if there's basically like any kind of storytelling medium that I feel like tells a good story um, that could be useful or like have some kind of good insights or lessons to teach us about, um, facing the climate emergency. Um, it's something that I'm interested in talking about. So I'm pretty open-minded when it comes to like medium. Um, I'm more interested in the story part. So yeah, that's the basic premise of the show. How do you feel about storytelling as a medium for climate awareness over other types of climate action? Like what's different about it and why do you think it's important? Like, I guess storytelling is uh, its obviously why I started the podcast. It's something that I was thinking about a lot. Um, so in my day job, I work as a marketer, actually. Um, so it's like storytelling for money. <laughs> it's kind of like being a storytelling mercenary. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So well, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of kind of skeezy. But um, 
Yeah, everybody hates marketers and PR people, but um, <laughs> I did both. I worked in marketing I suppose, and PR. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, I mean, marketers, are one of those things that's like really important to businesses. So, I mean, they help kind of run the world, um, <laughs> yeah. but they do, they do kind of destroy everything for everyone. They make everything yep. like kind of boring over time. So anything that comes out that's kind of new, like once marketers get a hold of it, that's when it gets old. <laughs> well, you're welcome. <laughs> that's neat. Um, thankfully, I, I usually am doing stuff that you probably haven't ever heard of. It's more like... <laughs> boring mm. like business to business kind of stuff for like, sure yeah. uh, but anyway um yeah so storytelling is always something i've been really interested in um like i said i'm a writer um outside of working for money so i'm always thinking about like i guess the power of stories and like how you can i guess try to use a story to um persuade someone to your point of view or to you know mm make some perhaps like increased empathy or something like that. So I was, um, and this is still something I'm interested in, but I guess when I was first um, thinking about like, oh, like what can I do to help with the climate crisis? Um, and one thing was that I came across was like environmental communication. So mm. it's, it's like science communication essentially, but um, mm. specifically targeted for environmentalism. Um, mm. So I was actually looking at going to grad school um, which, uh, did not pan out. Um, but yeah, I was, um, I was thinking that I would essentially work in, um, I guess kind of like, um, almost like science communication, public health communication kind of space. Um, just, uh, to make like public, uh, public relations campaigns or marketing campaigns to like, I guess, drive action on climate change broadly was like my mm. thinking. Um, so I was having a really hard time finding jobs like that, actually. And after a while, I was like, you know what? Like, why does this have to be like a job? Like, why do I have to make money to do this? I could just mm -hmm. do it. Um, yeah. I could just make a podcast. I mean, it's maybe won't have like as much of an impact, you know, you could argue, yeah. but at least I'd be doing something. So um, and I could still figure out the other thing along the way. So that's kind of what I started doing. Um and yeah, I mean, just the more I was learning about um, environmental communication, I actually bought a textbook on environmental communication. So I'm like a person who read a textbook for fun um, <laughs> that tells you anything about, <laughs> yeah. I guess, the nature of the show or whatever. But um, yeah, so I mean, a big piece of it kept coming back to storytelling, which makes sense yeah. for me with my background, because uh like humans are storytelling animals where like stories are the way that we essentially shape reality. Um, it's the mm. way that we make sense of the world. So I was like, Oh, well that is something that could actually be really useful for um, climate action. Um, you know, if not for mm. at least just, I feel like you know, people always say raise awareness. I don't really know how much more raising awareness we need to do about the climate crisis. I feel like the awareness is pretty raised at this point. Um, but I was like, you know, um, a big thing that I was coming across in environmental communication is that, um, I guess there's this kind of debate that's still going on. Like we've been talking about it for even since before I knew what environmental communication was, but, um, there's like the whole kind of debate between like, do you use like, um, scare messaging, uh, to like, I guess kind of scare people into taking action. Um, like mm. do you use like fear as a motivator or do you just try to 
to like um i guess like more like empowering people and um i guess providing like a hopeful message um that's kind of like a simplified version of the debate but that's like mm. uh that's kind of what's going on there so um but yeah i mean like a big part of that was that um you know the concern is that if you go too far into like scare tactics that you basically it's like the whole fight or flight thing or freeze so instead yeah, of people yeah. fleeing they just freeze and they don't do anything because they just feel like they have no yeah. um sense of agency or like self-efficacy no yeah. yeah so um that's something that i thought stories could really help with was um giving people more of a sense of agency um because like when you're reading a story you kind of see yourself as the protagonist like inevitably or at least i feel like mm -hmm. most people do i feel like i tend to do that a lot um, um but yeah i thought you know like if we maybe looked at the right kind of stories um or like some really good stories that would have some good takeaways for a problem as big as the climate crisis that maybe that could help people um one have like a better sense of self-efficacy better sense of agency to feel like they could actually do something about the climate crisis which people can um and then two to also help people imagine what like a more sustainable world would look like which is something that i feel like is a big struggle for a lot of people um it's it's kind of like you know a fish doesn't know it's in water until it's you know out of water so <laughs> it's kind of hard <laughs> to realize like what kind of um cultural or societal constructs are around you like until you see something different or better i guess i don't know if that makes any sense but i suppose yeah it doesn't so, make sense it's, it's just giving you more context to to yeah. change your worldview yeah to, to understand a certain concept which is sure important. yeah because it's like you don't realize how many things you kind of take for granted all the time or just <clears throat> how many things you accept as normal um until maybe you're presented with like an alternative uh vision of like what the world could be like um in a more i guess uh sustainable world if you will or more like fair and just world too so mm. um yeah those are um and not like every story that i talk about is going to be like <laughs> this utopian dream world um i've actually only mm. really talked about a handful of those although utopias are something i'm really interested in um so a lot of them kind of at least in the cli-fi space tend to lean towards a uh, dystopian but um i kind of like to think that those you know two, those are kind of you know like uh i guess vulgar generalizations of complicated stories so they kind of are like two sides of the same coin in my mind um and even if it's something that is like something people often say is dystopian like a book like um parable of the sower by octavia e butler um if you read it critically there's actually a lot of like pretty uh radical like utopian ideas in there i think um especially i don't know if you if you're familiar with the book or not but um especially with like the um okay it's a it's a really good one um but yeah that's like the main character essentially like invents a religion um to help her like deal with um i guess the climate collapsing essentially is what's happening in that book um and there's actually a bunch of really good stuff in there that's, um, I feel like, pretty practical to us today. that um, could actually help a lot of people. And um, lo and behold, there are actually some people who um, have, I guess, kind of organized that as a real religion and <laughs> um, subscribe to that in real life, which is pretty yeah. fascinating. Um, so 
in the book she says it's a religion i i kind of think of it more as um something like a philosophical framework something um it's it's not mm. something like um i guess christianity or something it, in my mind it's something kind of more similar to um buddhism or taoism which of course are religions but mm. um it's not like i guess the same kind of thing that you typically think of in you know like a judeo-christian mm. sense i guess but um yeah i feel like i'm kind of rambling here but <laughs> um <laughs> no, yeah no, i feel like i mean no, that's the power it's... stories that's the thing. There's so many different facets to, to stories and how they affect the human psyche and how they, you know, uh, kind of form somebody's worldview. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really important. And I mean, I've had a few scientists on here that have used storytelling in their, um, in whatever form of science communication. And, and mm-hmm. it's always something that comes up as primarily important. So it's good to hear from somebody who works in the marketing space um, <laughs> yeah. to, to, you know, tell us about how interesting storytelling is into making people purchase something. You know, that's that's part mm-hmm. of that's a decision somebody is making with their money. And yeah, I, like one of the things that I've always thought for a long time, even discussed with my other like, colleagues, is that science and uh, environmentalism has a big marketing problem. And it's yeah. not done in a way that that provokes any kind of action or provokes any kind of change in behavior. It's like you said, a lot of it is like scaring people, yeah, and trying to scare them into action, which I think is is it works maybe for some people, but I think for sure the large majority of people are just trying to put like food on the table and like getting yep. from meal to meal or paycheck to paycheck and worrying about something that's you know maybe fifty years in the future is gonna take up very little in their minds so we need to kind of diversify how we try and communicate these things and how we try and get them to understand it and take action Mm because doing it one way um may not be the best and if we're doing it wrong we're not gonna figure that out until like (laughs) a few years when somebody does a research study and it's like oh we're doing this the wrong way we need to change it um which is kind of like the slow way that academia in particular operates um, Mm -hmm. compared to like you know the corporate world with corporate marketing um so yeah i think things are changing now i think since the pandemic hit um like you said you know you're struggling to find jobs those jobs in communications now in science and environmentalism are just like exponentially increased over the past oh yeah i've definitely noticed that yeah so it I think governments have, have understood and institutions have understood um, research around science communication is increasing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's movement. It's taken a while, but there's movement now. Um, yeah, which is, definitely which is a lot really of cool. positive signs. Yeah, definitely yeah. gives us and content to create as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would say um, there actually have been some studies done, like formal academic studies done on I guess, like the impact of climate fiction or eco fiction mm-hmm. on, I guess, like swaying people one way or the other or like changing mm-hmm. their opinions, you know, perhaps about climate change. And mm-hmm. um, at least like I haven't like read the studies in detail. That's like something that's been on my to do list for a long time, actually. But um, um, I feel like there was one that came out last year. Maybe it was the end of 2019. Um, but yeah, it was it was basically like um I don't know if, you know, the effect is like permanent or like really long lasting, but it, it does at least have a pretty uh, strong short term impact at the very least. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, 
it's just like you were saying, like different messages reach different people in different ways. So um, I'm sure for some people, it probably does have a much more lasting effect. Uh, people like me, mm. for instance, <laughs> or, you know, people yeah. who presumably would listen to a podcast like mine or yours. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, there has been some research done on it, and it's pretty interesting to, I guess, read about some of it. But, yeah, uh, I guess it's something that's kind of growing right now. And um, what, are your, what are some of your favorite Clafi titles? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, so I'm actually going to kind of cheat a little bit and borrow off of a blog post that I wrote <laughs> last year. Um, <laughs> That's totally fine. It's still coming yeah. from your brain. <laughs> yeah, it's just something that I wrote down in the past. But because um, yeah. I've like done so many, sometimes I forget about some good ones. So I just want to make sure that I wasn't missing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you want to read the blog post, it's on storiesforearth.com. It's called where to get started with Cli-Fi. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've already mentioned it, but the number one, um, book that I would recommend to people who are just getting started is, um, Parable of the Sower by Octavia E. Butler. Um, this is, I mean, like if you Google anything about climate fiction, this is going to come up. It's probably like one of the best known books about climate fiction, but for a really good reason. So Um, I know you said you haven't read the book, but um, it's just like, it's incredible that it was written when it was written. Um, I'll say that Mm. because it was, I think, published in 1998 or something like that. But man, it's like you read it and you're like, I feel like I'm reading the news like from last year. (laughs) It's actually kind of scary. So, yeah, it's just wild how prescient it is. Um, and of course, like Octavia E. Butler was like one of the greatest American writers ever, um, especially like one of the greatest science fiction writers ever. She was just an incredible um, writer of science fiction. So that certainly doesn't hurt it either. Um, but yeah, that's that's a really good one to start with. Um, actually, um, our mutual friend Lovis Geyer, um, the two of us recently did a podcast episode about that book and it's on youtube on her mm. youtube channel if you want to find it on ecofictology with lovis geyer um where we kind of uh, just broke it down and talked about our reactions to it so um some people are like oh, you shouldn't recommend that one as the one to start with because it's it's kind of dystopian it's it might scare some people but um <laughs> i would say if you do read it um you know if if it does scare you like don't don't read it like you can totally not finish your book it's fine but um if you do read it like focus on the I guess the more utopian kind of things in it that I was thinking of, like the mm. parts where it's kind of like imagining a better future and actually kind of laying the groundwork for that. So um, in terms of a novel, that's like the big one I would recommend. Um, I kind of like to give people like a range of stuff, but um, if you are looking for a film, I feel like whenever people think of um, like climate change in movies, Um, And I think we were emailing back and forth about this before we uh, started the podcast. But um, at least in my mind, the one that would always come to mind first is The Day After Tomorrow, which came out in 2004. Um, I remember watching that as a kid and just being like, oh, my God, this is so scary. Um, You know, it's um, it's a really, um, really good movie. I've I've seen it. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe a hundred times. I watch it a bunch. Yeah. It's a really entertaining movie, even though it's it is like entertaining. Crazy scary. I don't know how scientifically <laughs> accurate it is, but 
it's it's so wild <laughs> in terms of like what's going on with the climate like mm-hmm. it, it's crazy like that kind of change you would ex- you would expect like will take centuries or at, right. at the very like very least uh but it's just so wild in terms of this is how much your life can change you mm-hmm. know if you if you carry on trying to change the, the climate it's it's yeah it's gonna be terrible to live <laughs> yeah um, exactly um and i think that um i mean again not a scientist um but uh in the movie so like the um the reason for like the rapid climate change that happened in that movie which was actually like um a new ice age instead of like the world getting hotter mm. overall um which is, I guess, like one possibility that has been kind of floated around like in the past. I don't think anybody thinks that's a possibility now, but um, it's mm. based off kind of a crazy book, too. And if you do any reading about the making of the film, but uh, yeah, I think the premise is like the I think it was like the East Atlantic Current or something like that. It's basically like a you yeah. know really important ocean current in the Atlantic Ocean that evenly distributes like warm and cold water to make temperate climates mm. uh basically that's just slows down and almost completely comes to a stop so yeah. yeah so mm. then it's just like there's no warm water being uh circulated up towards like the northern hemisphere and uh climates that were once temperate like uh europe and like um north america or at least the united states section of north america um just essentially turn into an ice age um and like tundra so um but apparently like uh i think that uh current is actually there are some signs of it slowing down in real life so i don't think that there's any chance of there being a scenario like that movie actually happening but just a fun fact (laughs) um yeah we just plain stops yeah yeah slowing down maybe but the thing is like there's so many factors involved like it's got more to do with like the rotation of the earth and like where currents are hitting like continents and Mm-hmm. and a lot to do with wind and stuff um, yeah so for it to just like for the ocean corvair to just stop one day yeah no it's not gonna happen it's kind of weird it's not gonna happen yeah no but it makes it for an entertaining course. movie yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah it's an interesting but, um, concept but uh talking a lot about the day after tomorrow the movie that i would actually recommend watching instead of that one not that that one is a bad movie necessarily but it's just like a hollywood action film um, the one that I would actually recommend watching is one called Beasts of the Southern Wild. Um, and this was okay. an independent film that I can't remember now when it came out. 2012, I think, is when it was released. Um, but it is actually set in the United States Gulf Coast. Um, so I think like New Orleans, um, that kind of area. And mm. it follows the life of this little girl named Hush Puppy who's growing up Um in this, um, I guess, town that you'd call, like, uh, I think they call it the bathtub is the name of the town. And it's kind of just like one of these little small, like kind of um, like coastal parish towns uh, that you might find in Louisiana mm. or like Mississippi. Um, it's um, pretty poor, like it's really small. Um, Hush puppies growing up in like a trailer home. Um, but then basically there's this really big storm that comes a lot of people kind of see parallels between it and like hurricane Katrina, which happened in 2004. Um, Mm. 
and it essentially like floods the whole um, bathtub and they have like FEMA comes in, you know, the government comes in and evacuates the whole town, like forces them to migrate basically. Um, but like there's also this kind of magical realism element to it, which I really love. Magical realism is like one of my favorite genres of literature. So um, I guess the reason for the storm happening is that in the movie, there are like these um, like kind of mythical beasts, which is where the beasts part of the film title comes from. Um, but the these beasts are called aurochs and they're like an extinct kind of like bovine sort of animal. They kind of look like um, buffalo or something mm. um, that have been extinct for like, you know, a really, really long time. I think they were actually a real animal in the Ice Age or something, but um, basically, like in the movie, they're uh, like trapped under the ice in like Antarctica or like the North Pole or something like that. And uh, they break free from the ice and like it's kind of like a metaphor for climate change. So um, by them like breaking free from the ice, it's kind of like the ice melting at the polar ice caps. And it's like the ocean level rises and the bathtub basically um, drowns. So um the waters do eventually recede later in the movie and Hush Puppy actually confronts the beast herself. Um, and I don't know, I'm actually kind of getting chills talking about it. It's <laughs> such a powerful movie. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's one you can find. It might be on Netflix, actually. And of course, I know that the availability of film titles on streaming platforms varies depending on where you live. But um, you can probably find it somewhere on the Internet where you can watch it. Um, but mm. it's a really, really, really good movie. Um, I feel like it's kind of underrated, but it's like one of my top 10 favorite movies ever, um, apart from just being a really good cli-fi movie. So that's another really good one that I would recommend. And then not to rattle on for too long, but I think the last title that I would recommend people read, uh, check out is another book. Um, it's another work of fiction. It's called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Um, again, it was published, I think, in the 90s, uh, might have been the 80s. Um, but it's um, there's only two characters in the book. So it's like a Socratic dialogue is the way that it's structured. So it's between a man who's responding to an ad in a newspaper that he saw and a, a um, gorilla who has learned to talk. And he's escaped from the zoo and he's basically... He kind of is like a stand in, like representing all of, I guess, like the natural world, you might say. Um, mm. But he the gorilla is um, named Ishmael and Ishmael puts an ad in the newspaper one day and he's like, um, if anybody's interested in saving the world, uh, like come, you know, apply for this job or whatever. Um, so the guy who responds to the job ad in the newspaper is the other person in the story. We never actually learn his name, but. Um, it's really interesting. It's almost like a piece of like philosophy, actually. Um, it's written very accessibly, so like anybody can read it and um, take something really meaningful from it, I think. But um, it's really getting at some pretty big questions about like the way that um, I guess modern industrialized society is set up and how it's just like inherently, I guess, antithetical to having a sustainable world and um, just like the, I guess the, the mindset that so many people have and the way that they think about, you know, like humankind versus nature. I mean, it's really the same thing. You know, there's no distinction between humankind and nature. It's all the same. Um, 
and yeah, it's just, it's really interesting. And a lot of that book is actually about storytelling. So, and in the book, he actually refers to it as um, mythology instead of storytelling, but it's the same concept. So um, mm -hmm. it's basically like learning to look around you and examine like what is the um, kind of like controlling mythology of your culture. And, um, you know, like it's easy to look in the past to see like ancient Rome and see like what their kind of controlling mythology was. Um, but it's much more difficult when you're actually in the present trying to like look around you and think like what kind of mythologies do I subscribe to that um, kind of like inform how I engage with the world. Um, and then learning how to kind of break free from that to, um, I guess, invent a better mythology. And I, I don't know. I think that one is like a really good setup for reading any other kind of climate fiction because I think it kind of sets hmm. like the... Um, the um, headspace that you'd want to be in when you're reading climate fiction, or at least from my perspective, um, because it's like, okay, like now that we are on the same page in terms of like, what's wrong with the way that the stories that we're currently telling about like ourselves in the world, what are some better stories that we could explore to, um, I guess, kind of make things better and, you know, help with things like um, climate change or like um, species extinction, mass extinction, um, you know, like, injustice around the world that sort of thing like colonialism all kinds of these different huge mm -hmm. issues that we have that we're still contending with and that we're uh might get worse in the future so yeah those are probably like the three big ones i would recommend that was a really long answer to your short question but <laughs> <laughs> yeah those are the three uh titles i would recommend people checking out if they want to yeah. get into climate fiction or eco fiction i noticed you didn't have a, a video game uh, which is disappointing. <laughs> I, I, I can, I can tell you game. one though. Um, I did do one on um, Final Fantasy VII. I mentioned that's like the one scripted episode I've done. I've been trying to find like mm. some other ones that I can do too because I think that video games are um, often overlooked as like a good source of storytelling because there are some video games with really, really good mm. stories. Um, and Final Fantasy titles are always going to be in that category. They're very uh, cinematic, or at least most of them, like the newer ones are. Um, so Final Fantasy VII um, is a really interesting one because not only is Final Fantasy VII, um, it might be like the best-selling video game ever made. Um, certainly one of the most popular video games ever made. Um, I don't know if someone else has, uh, if another title has taken that crown by now but um yeah and also at the time that i was writing the podcast episode about it i didn't know this this was just kind of like synchronicity but they were actually just released a remake of the game for you know like <clears throat> ps5 or whatever it is now i don't know um but the original game came out for playstation the original playstation um it was set um the story is really complicated but um basically it's like Cloud Strife is the main character. He's like the spiky haired guy with a big, huge, ridiculous looking sword. Um, and he lives in a city called Midgar, which is essentially kind of like a company town controlled by this like giant corporation that's essentially like the size of a government called the Shinova mm -hmm. Energy Corporation. And they're essentially like a massive fossil fuel company that is um, just like destroying the world and you know they have basically created like this dystopian kind of world where it's like tons and tons of income inequality um uh actually where i think where cloud lives is actually like on a 
bottom like level of the city there's like multiple levels of the city and like yeah, the higher up you like go like the more wealthy you are so um yeah it's pretty um there's a lot of actually really um deep stuff in there that you wouldn't expect to find in a video game maybe but um yeah it's basically the um uh man i think i got the name of the energy company wrong i think it's a shinra electric power companies shinra. Yeah, shinra. yeah i think i called it something else um but yeah it's um they basically have found a way to like mine or like drill like the life force of the planet uh to mm. produce energy uh so i think it's called mako energy in the game um and like and in, in the game like mako energy literally is like the soul of the planet and they're like mm. essentially converting like the spirit of the planet into energy so that they can you know like fuel cars and you know make electricity and that kind of thing um and it's like literally just draining the life from the planet to make electricity which is a pretty strong metaphor i think um so that game is it's i mean you can play it i actually haven't played it all the way through i've played it once when i was a kid but um you know you can like watch gameplay of it online like i said there's a remake of it now for one of the newer playstation consoles um and there's people who have done a much better job recapping it than I have um, who can maybe show you a little bit more about the story if you're interested in that aspect of it. But yeah, that's a it's a really, really interesting one. So and I think it's especially good because um, not only is the story really interesting, but also the game is just really engaging. It's like a game that you would want to play, even if you didn't know anything about the story of the game, which I think is really mm. important for effective storytelling. Um so yeah that's that's probably at least the one that comes um to mind immediately that i would check out for a video game but i'm sure there are others that i haven't gotten to yet so there's a lot out there yeah i'm sure there are some but i mean for me i mean i've been gaming for most of my life but mm -hmm. sci-fi games like none of them n nothing comes to mind yeah which is kind of weird uh i think a lot of games like allude to it like in like background or environmental storytelling or mm -hmm. either use metaphors like i think Final fantasy 10 is kind of like similar to, yeah. to 7 but but i think the the central conflict is more magical and more like analogous yeah. Versus in seven, where it's like, okay, there is a company that's using stuff. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, whereas in ten, it's more like mystical and religious. Uh, I almost did that game instead of Final Fantasy VII, actually. Mm. Um, so last year when the pandemic hit, um, you know, like a lot of people, I was just like in full crisis mode, like um, <laughs> having like a, a quarter life crisis, sort of like going back and yeah. revisiting like old video games and stuff from my childhood. Um, <laughs> it was kind of comforting, I guess, but I actually yeah. played back through Final Fantasy X. Um, and yeah, I was playing through it and I was like, this is actually really interesting from a story perspective. It was a lot of things I hadn't thought about. Um, you know, obviously, as a kid, I didn't know about any of this stuff, so I wouldn't have mm. picked up on it, but. Um, you know, like in the game, it's like there's this huge conflict, um, kind of like a cultural conflict in the world that the game is set in where it's um, it's like sinful to use machinery. Um, hmm. And it's like there's a huge faction of like the I guess the dominant religion in the world, um, I guess, like the more conservative, if you will, people who subscribe to that religion. 
all think it's sinful to use uh, machina is what they call it in the game. Mm. It's just any kind of like um, industrialized, um, you know, machinery or whatever. Um, but then there are people who are considered like infidels. So in the game, I think they're the Albad and yeah. they uh, use machina and they're considered kind of like infidels by the rest of the people and they're like sinners or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting because in that game they think that the reason it's sinful to use Machina is because it um uh it like attracts um well the name of the monster is sin but it doesn't actually yeah. have any uh, <laughs> correlation this to creature sin. that's basically yeah. a natural disaster. <laughs> yes, on, on, yeah, the creature is yeah. just like an embodiment of a natural disaster. So it might be like okay. come in the form of like a typhoon or like an earthquake or whatever. But it always kind of takes the form of a natural disaster. So they think that by mm. using like Machina, that it's um, I guess like inviting sin to like come and destroy them. Um, and in the game it's like every what like seven years or something sin is reborn and you know goes on this like campaign of destruction mm-hmm. again and they have to try to stop it um so yeah th- i mean there's some interesting things going on there for sure um it might be one that i i guess revisit in the future but it's cool um a lot of cool things there um and sorry i don't want to keep you for too long i know that we've got a limited amount of time but um <laughs> <laughs> you've yeah. got me thinking about this now no it, no no, it's true. I'm just saying it's when it comes to video games, I think it's less thrown in your face. You know, if, yeah, if there are totally. Cli fi, um, you know, instances or references, it's right. It's, I think it's toned down, and I, but I think mm-hmm. it's changing. Yeah, um, there are games now like Beyond Blue, where science mm. and like environmentalism is more baked into the okay. Game. That's interesting. Um, which is so I think in the future, you're gonna get, um, gaming companies that are kind of partnering with institutions and like uh, non-governmental organizations and mm-hmm. to create games that are you know for the purpose of either science communication or environmental awareness which is going to be interesting and cool yeah totally going forward and um so yeah oh sorry one more thing i would add to that is just that um there's this really great quote from margaret atwood the science fiction writer um, she wrote, you know, like The Handmaid's Tale and stuff, but um, really, really famous science fiction writer. But she's got this really great quote that I'll paraphrase. And she basically said something to the effect of um, like, at some point, if you're not writing about climate change, you're just not going to be writing about reality anymore. Right. Because <laughs> climate change is here. It's been here, mm. um, you know, for a little while now, at least for um, a huge chunk of the world. Um, although it feels like this year it was just like people in uh, like the northern hemisphere and a lot of places like in Europe and the United States were like, oh, my gosh, climate change is here. And the rest of the world was like, where have you guys been? <laughs> you know, like it's been here. Uh, like, I don't know what you're talking about. But um, yeah, so she was like climate change is like everything change. So, you know, there will come a point where if you're a writer and you're not writing, like if your storytelling doesn't involve climate change to some extent, you're just, you know, completely out of touch with reality and you just won't be a good writer anymore, basically. And, you know, that goes for any kind of storytelling. So I just, yeah, that just seems kind of relevant to yeah. Uh, yeah, video games. For sure. I think, and, and I think that's a good place to end. Otherwise we'll continue for the next four hours talking about different <laughs> climate yeah. frictions. I could talk about this for a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So why don't you let everybody know where they can find your work on the internet? Sure. 
Um, as I mentioned, I've got a website. Um, you can find like transcripts for um, most of the episodes there. Um, you can at least find links to listen to all of them there. Um, it's storiesforearth.com. And I'm also on social media. I don't have a Facebook, but I'm on Instagram and Twitter. So if you just search Stories for Earth, it'll come up there. And I'm on YouTube as well. I am not very good about staying consistent about uploading on YouTube, but I do try to keep that up as well. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I'm on all major podcasting platforms. So just search uh, Stories for Earth wherever you get podcasts and I'll come up. Sure. Good check that. Thanks so much for us for joining. It's been really fun chat. All right. Thank you for having me. It was uh, great getting to come on the show.